We've been looking at some verses, Exodus 20:20, Chronicles 20:20. We looked at the one that we need the most would be Colossians 2, 9 and 10, that Jesus is the head of all principality and power, and we are complete in him. We are complete in him. In him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, the verse says. And then the next verse says, and we are complete in him. So, so even though you're a work in progress, in the mind of Christ, you're, you're complete in him. And so you're not about performance. The works that you do are works that he placed in you from before the foundation of the world. So you're walking out your completeness. You're just walking it out. Then we looked in, in Luke chapter 12 where he said, it's my pleasure to give you the kingdom. And sometimes we look at numbers in the church or, or we look at our own possibilities and potentials and we find that we're lacking. But when you look at God, he's always done things with a small group of people. Look what he did with Gideon. He started with 32,000 and reduced them to 300 people. And that was more than enough. But some of the things that God did, they're so astounding to me. Let's go to, let's go to Chronicles 20.20. Of course, we also looked at uh, Corinthians 15.58, that we are steadfast and we are unmovable. And we're abounding in the work of the Lord because we know something. We know that our labor's not in vain in the Lord. But sometimes we read these Bible stories and I think we miss the fact that these are real people <laughs> with real struggles and I was sharing on Thursday night how I walked across the Dead Sea in my mind and how fearful I was because even though I, I had never met Moses, I'm one of the crowd. I had not met Moses. I heard about him and I, heard, I saw some of the, the, the results, but I was living over in Goshen, so I, even did, I didn't even see the last seven plagues that came upon Egypt. Uh, but all I know is he's going to take me back to a land that was promised to me, a place that I've never been. And so I'm following him along, but I'm not really enjoying the journey. I didn't want to leave in the first place. I, you know, I wasn't happy where I was, but, but, but that's the way humans are. You're not happy where you are, but you hate change. And so, so they're marching out, man, and, and, and things are looking not too bad um, until you look in, around you and see Pharaoh coming behind you. And then you've got an ocean in front of you, or, or a Red Sea, a body of water, okay? And... Uh, and some guy with a stick. Dear God, I'm following some guy with a stick. And he said, he's going to take me over to a, a promised land. And so sure enough, he holds up the stick and the wind blows and the water parts. And I'm walking through there. I'm walking through there. But it's a mountain of water on each side. And I'm walking faster and I'm walking faster. And oh, you a faith being? Yeah, but I'm scared. I'm scared. Oh, mighty man of faith. No, I didn't put that water. I just, I just, I get, I just want to get to the other side. That's my goal, to get to the other side. And so those things happen. But here, but here look at this in Chronicles chapter 20. Again, we looked at it before. He said, and they rose up early in the morning and came to church. They rose up early in the morning and went forth to the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went forth, Jehoshaphat, who most of them didn't know either. Come on, let's be real. <laughs> Who's this guy? Well, he's the king. Yeah, yeah, okay. I've never met him. 
Hear, O Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem, believe the Lord and you will be established. Well, in or, again, in order to believe him, I have to know him. So somehow he's asking, he's saying, you need to get to know God because you can't believe in somebody that you don't know. And what he wants you and I to know is 1 John 4, 8 and verse, 1 John 4, I think verse 13, God is love. And so God loves you and God is for you, right? So, so he said you need to get to know that. Then you need to believe the prophecies that have been spoken over 2020 and beyond because it requires your participation. If you do not believe, you won't be able to get to the end of the year and say, well, they were wrong again. No, they were right every year. The prophecy's right every year. God gives them a word. God will give you a word. Whether you act on it or not, it's up to you. In verse 21, it says, When he had consulted with the people, he appointed singers unto the Lord, that they should praise the Lord in the beauty of his holiness, and go out ahead of the army, and praise him for his mercy endures forever. Okay, but put yourself, make this real. These are real people. We're surrounded by an army. Let's say the hell's angels are outside this building right now, and they got guns, and they got baseball bats, and they got sticks and stuff, and what are we going to do? Phone the police? No. What are you going to do? Caleb and Ariel are going to go out. No, no. Come on. Come on. Get real. This is real. Caleb and Ariel are going to go out, and those of you that would like to follow with them, we're going to go sing to them. No, if that makes sense to you, let me just say, you're lying. <laughs> They're out there waiting for you to come out so they can beat you up. And you're going to say, I just want to praise him. <laughs> Lift my voice and say, I love you. Come on. No, no. Daniel, in Daniel chapter 6, they said they made a law that you couldn't pray anymore. Just like they did in Canada. Like they told the chaplains, if you want to keep getting your money in the military, don't mention Jesus when you're talking to the prisoners. So what did they do? They don't talk about Jesus anymore. Because it might offend a Muslim or a, a wicked dude or something. But, but that's not what Daniel did. They said, we passed a decree that whoever prays to anybody other than Nebuchadnezzar is going to get thrown in a den of lions. Join the net. No, 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 no. <laughs> That would be okay. Fish and chips at their house. Come on. <laughs> put, put a plug in for that while I'm here. <laughs> so, <laughs> no, no. So, so Daniel reads the law. He goes home. Open, and he's one of the leaders of the country. He's got a big position to lose. He opens up the windows so that everybody can see him. And he prays out loud three times a day. This is why the church needs some boldness. We just let all these things happen and just hope somebody else would deal with it. Daniel dealt with it. So Daniel, he, he breaks the law. They come and arrest him and throw him in a den of lions and put a rock over it so you can't get out. Have you ever been sniffed by a lion? No, put yourself there. You think you're a faith person? Let's find out what your faith is really like. You're in there, and they're hungry. How do you know that? Because the next day when they threw the other guys in, they ate them all. So Daniel's sitting there. I don't know if he's praying in the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost hadn't come. So what's he saying? Oh. 
do you think he might have been nervous being human? So God didn't deliver him from the lion's den, but he delivered him in it. Those, can you imagine sitting there? Pastor Paul doesn't like animals at all. Can you imagine Pastor Paul being in there? In a big old lion with bad breath, coming over and going, <laughs> mm, looking at your hind quarter. <laughs> Just a bite-sized little piece right there. <laughs> These are real people. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, back in Daniel chapter 2. They, I know they were reading the, the scrolls of Isaiah and Jeremiah because Daniel talks about it in chapter 9. But, but Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're reading Isaiah 43. When you walk through the fire, you won't be burned, neither shall the flame kindle upon you. So they got two verses you got a whole Bible for, and you can't make it. You sniveling little thing. No, I'm only kidding. <laughs> Don't get saucy. I'm struggling too. <laughs> Strength is in the struggle. No, no, but these guys, they read these verses, and then if you don't bow down to the world system, to Nebuchadnezzar's idol, we're going to throw you in the fire. And then they heated up seven times more than it was, as if fire wouldn't burn you as hot as it was. They heated up even more, and they threw them in there. And, and you'd have thought, like we'd have prayed, Lord, please deliver me from the problem. Now, God says, I'll deliver you in the middle of your problem. So, but you, you, no, but you look at things differently when you, when you put yourself, insert yourself into that scripture. It's Shadrach, Meshach, and you. You and two crazy friends. Hallelujah, the fourth man shows up in the fire. Praise you, Lord. But the church in North America, every time they pass the law, oh, don't want any Bible in school? Oh, okay. Uh, we're going to continue with abortion, continue to murder babies? Oh, yeah, sure. Well, we might say a little something, but, but you know, just keep, keep me comfortable. And don't make me stand up and actually fight because there's so few of us. God said, I will do it with a few. I need you. You are so vital to the plan of God. You are so important to the plan of God. Your prayers can change things, turn things around. Your prayers can stop storms. Your prayers can stop abortion. Your prayers can stop racial profiling. Men ought always to pray, Luke 18.1 says, and not faint. Then he goes and tells the story about the unjust judge and the woman wore him out from her continual coming. And Jesus is saying, this is what you need to do. You need to seek and keep on seeking, ask and keep on asking. Come on, you just keep at it. You just keep at it. Be persistent. Be persistent in prayer and be persistent in your expectation. And don't expect, I mean, real, real faith in God is in the lion's den. Real faith in God is in the fire. You believe in God when everything around you is saying it's not working, it's not working. If it was working, you wouldn't need faith. And when it does work, you'll be on to something else. 
because life is a series of tests. You go from one to another to another. Have you not noticed? But your strength is in the struggle. You're fighting to get out of your situation, fighting the good fight of faith to lay hold of eternal life. You know, he gives such weapons. He, you know, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 4, he says, the weapons of your warfare. Notice he said warfare, though. Well, I just want people to leave me alone so I can lead a peaceful life. If you're a Christian, you've got a target and a cross on you. A bullseye. The devil doesn't like you. You probably got more trouble now than you did before you got saved. And you thought it was going to become by you. Uh... He's raising up an army. This is what he did in Egypt over 400 years of their slavery. He raised up an army to go in and possess the land that he had promised to Abraham. And when the time got close, Abraham was promised 400 years, your family's going to be in captivity, and then they're coming out. And when the devil saw that it was close, the first thing that he started to do was kill babies. Kill the babies. Kill all the males. The males have been killed in Canada and the United States, I'll tell you right now. Look at any program on TV, there'll be a woman is the boss of the program. I'm not saying that it's wrong to have a woman as a boss, but when it's the woman everywhere and the husband, the man of the family is ridiculed and made to look like a fool, made to look like a wimp, and the man, men have been neutered. It's hard to find the man anymore. It's true. It's just true. I'm not talking about man buns or things like that. That's, that's your preference. But when I see a guy in front of me ordering a skinny no-fat latte with blah, 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 I'm a little bit concerned. <laughs> Go easy. Okay, okay. <laughs> so they had to step out and they had to go out in faith and praise the Lord. No, but you, you need to know this was a huge army. They had been killing people for years. And praise and worship, something is stupid, it may be to you. That's why lots of times praise and worship people think we just come in here and sing songs. No, sometimes you get in a groove on one, like, we, that, like you know, all of them are good, but we get into a, a, a sweet spot with one of those songs today. That's the Holy Ghost moving on you, putting that, pumping that, pumping that, pumping that into you. You learn them by repetition. Isn't that the same way the devil comes after you? He'll tell you the same thing over and over and over again. Then when you hear a preacher preaching the same message, you know, I already heard that. <laughs> no, you, you need to hear it again. You need to hear that Moses, we talked about it on Thursday night, was looking out his window. Now, Moses was a conflicted man. Moses lived with his family for three months, and then he was sailed into a bunch of alligators. I know you might think your parents have been unfair to you. Crocodiles on the Nile. How, how would you like that? <laughs> and I know that Miriam came and guided the, the Ark of Bulrushes so that it would land in Pharaoh's court. But that was risky too because they were killing all the Jewish males. And so he gets there and his mother's there with him until he's weaned because they don't know it's his mother, but she 
pulls that off. But after that, he's, he's educated by the Hebrew people. He's got a degree in Hebrew philosophy and all of those kind of things. And he's a mighty man in the country. But he's conflicted because he knows he's a Hebrew. I mean, you know, you can hear the whispers, right? <laughs> I know he grew up in Pharaoh's school, but we were there. We saw he's really one of those. You, don't, you think racism and racial profiling is new? <laughs> Not even. It's just another form of hate. So anyway, so he's growing up in that conflicted environment. And then God begins to speak to his heart. Maybe we'll look at it in Acts chapter 7. But God began to speak to his heart. And he's got this war. Am I, am I, an, am I, am I an Egyptian? Am I a Hebrew? The same conflict that you have trying to be who you are and who you were at the same time. Have any of you ever experienced that? No, it's a battle that everybody faces. As you grow in God, there's some things that you try to hang on to that God wants you to let go of. Because there's security in it. And I know this for sure. You know, th this church hasn't been comfortable since we moved in here. But even when we move into our new building, God's not going to let you get comfortable. There's got to be something that's pushing on you so that you can fly to Mexico and land on a tree. You monarch butterfly, you. <laughs> no, no. No, wouldn't it be nice just to be as strong as that little butterfly to be able to do that? Glory to God. And how do they know they grew up, they were born here in August, July and August. How do they know where to go? So you don't think God can direct your life? Are you kidding me? You want to be in charge? You'll end up in Peru on a frozen mountain. <laughs> then why, does it be, why, do, why do I keep getting turned? Because his yoke is easy and his burden is light. But when you're fighting against the yoke, the yoke is on you, buddy. <laughs> My neck is sore from serving God. I know some of you walk like it went like that, right? <laughs> I did it my way. So he's conflicted in then. But see, what's going on on the inside of you is what you project on the outside. That's Bible. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he at last in his life. So what's going on in the inside of Moses? When he's 40 years old, he looks out the window, and he sees an Egyptian and a Hebrew fighting. And he knows that he's got a call of God on his life to deliver Israel. He's got that revelation on the inside of him that he's going to be a deliverer. But he's going to do it the way that maybe you might have tried before. You know you got to call God on your life, so now you're just going to go do it. No submission to any kind of leadership or anything. You're just going to go and do it. And so he's going to go and deliver Hebrew people. And so he goes out. And he kills an Egyptian. And he's got a shovel and an alibi. He kills the Egyptian and he buries him in the sand. Now, after that, you and I would have been done with Moses. He disqualified himself from ministry. And so he runs away to the backside of the desert. Let's, well, let's look at it in... Um, Acts chapter 7. I mentioned this on Thursday night. If you want a synopsis of the entire Old Testament, read Stephen's message 
in Acts chapter 7. And what makes it even more powerful is Stephen wasn't one of the fivefold ministry. He was a waiter of tables. And he had such a revelation of God. More than the people that had put him in his place. More than the people that hired him, if you will. It says he was full of faith and full of the Holy Ghost. I'm just going to pick it up where it starts talking about Moses. But I encourage you to read the whole thing. Verse 20, in, the, in which time Moses was born, and he was exceeding fair. That doesn't mean that he was good looking. He may have been good looking too, but, but he was a, you know, uh, Hebrews chapter 11 talks about him as well, that he was a proper child. But what it was is they recognized that he had a calling on his life. Just like I can look around this room and every one of you here has a calling on his life. Even if I don't know you personally, I know that you have a call on your life because my Bible says in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 4 that he chose you to be in him from before the foundation of the world. And then he deployed you in these last days. And he's got a purpose on the inside of you. And when you get to your purpose, your provision will be there. And so you're finding your way along. You're struggling in a cocoon, trying to get out because you have a destiny and a destination to arrive at. So it says, And Moses was born, he was exceedingly fair, nursed up in his father's house for three months. And when he was cast out, <laughs> you know, maybe some rejection. Have any of, anybody here ever struggled with rejection? <laughs> huh? He had all the good reasons to experience all of that. He was cast out, but Pharaoh's daughter took him up and nursed him as her own son. Now, that's pretty good because I love the fact that God is raising up a leader and he's making the Pharaoh pay for it. God is making up a leader, and if you'll yield to him, the Pharaoh's going to pay for your education. It says, Moses was learned in all the wisdom of Egypt. Was Look at this, mighty in words and deeds. This is the same guy that 40 years later is going to say, I can't even speak. <laughs> you can't send me, God, because I can't even speak. Look at he, mighty in words and deeds. And when he was a full 40 years old, it came upon his heart to visit the brethren, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them suffer wrong, he defended him, avenged him that was oppressed, and killed him. Verse 25, for he supposed. <laughs> Make sure you get scripture to back up your supposition, okay? <laughs> God has an order of doing things. How many of you know decently in an order? He has a system. He has an order of doing things. And he put apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers in place for a reason. Okay. So for he supposed his brethren would have understood that God by his hand would deliver them, but they didn't understand and the next day he showed himself unto them, and they strove and would have set him once and again, saying, Sirs, why are, you are brothers. Why are you trying to wrong one another? But he, he that did his neighbor wrong thrust pushed him away and said, Who made you a ruler and a judge over us? But my takeaway from that is even your enemies will know who you are. And, and they can prophesy over you. I mean, what he said was right. He had been made a judge and a ruler over them. Will you kill me as you did the Egyptian yesterday? Then Moses fled at this saying and was a stranger in the land of Midian, where he begot two sons. Now, we, we know the story. We looked at it on Thursday night. He went to Midian, and they treated him there as an Egyptian. And he was 
he was content to stay there because he had failed at the call of God on his life. So as far as he was concerned, it's over. Might as well just stay. But even the fact that he goes over to Midian and they accept him as an Egyptian over there, his job is to lead sheep through the desert. Even there, God is training him. Even though we would have disqualified him, God is still working with him. And, and matter of fact, in, in, uh, in the book of Exodus, it says that he was content to dwell there. But there was something else going on, on the inside of him. He had a fire on the inside of him. The fire wouldn't go up. The, call of, the calling of God is without repentance. You've got a fire in you, and you can't let it go. It'll consume you until it appears on the outside. And so one day he's walking through the desert and boom, he sees a bush on fire, but that's not unusual in the desert. Spontaneous combustion, things get dry. But when it was burning and not consumed, he went over and God began to speak to him in covenant terms. Moses, Moses, as soon as you hear that, he's talking covenant. He says, take off your shoes, you're on holy ground. And he takes off the shoes, but he understands, you, you know, in Ruth's gospel, chapter 40, the tossing of the shoe, the covenant. Yeah, so all this covenant. And so he realizes when God's talking to him that God hasn't changed his mind. Hallelujah, God hasn't. God hasn't changed his mind where you're concerned either. So when he was 40, when another 40 years had expired... He came to Mount Sinai. And by the way, this is where the Apostle Paul is going to end up too. Okay? So he said, I am the God of your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Moses trembled. He's the same guy, though, that wrote in Exodus 20, 20, not to be afraid of God, not to honor and respect him. I, but this is, and like this, read verse 34 and know this is God speaking to you as well. I've seen your affliction. I've heard your groaning. I've come down to deliver you. In other words, in the book of Exodus, he says, I came down to bring you up. And so I don't know what stage of that development you're in, but you are in a stage of development, and his promises are forever true. Should I dare talk about that? No, no, we had this, uh, we had a time in prayer yesterday. Oh, God, here we go. <laughs> the reason why they're laughing is we discovered a new mountain in the Bible, which we're not going to talk about today in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So, in Joshua chapter 3 and chapter 4, you don't, you don't need to go there. We're not going to go there because we're just not going to go there right now. But they had been in the wilderness for 40 years. Matter of fact, Numbers chapter 13 says, 13 to 14, they grumbled and complained so bad they, the, that the Hebrew people said this out of their mouths. <laughs> Would to God that we had died in the wilderness. 
And you know what he finally said after 39 years of listening to them complaining? He said, as you have spoken in my ear, so it will be done unto you. And they should have known the power of words. I mean, their, their father, Jacob, I mean, Jacob killed his own wife with words. Rachel had stolen the gods from Laban, her father, and, while, and she hid them in her tent. And Jacob said, whoever stole your gods, let him be cursed to death, not knowing that his wife had done it. Then a few months later, she gives birth to Benjamin, and she died during childbirth. And Jacob said, I have killed my wife. He understood the power of those words that he was speaking. But anyway, so they've all died off. And now you've got a new generation that's going into the promised land. And it's exciting to step over into exceeding great and precious promises and partake of his divine nature and escape the corruptions in the world through lust. It's exciting. But there's a river in the way. And it's not the dry time in summer. When you read the account of it, it says, and the Jordan River was at flood stage. So the most inopportune time to cross over into the promised land in the natural. Now, these are men and women and children like you. And so the first guys that he speaks to, he says to the priests, hey, I want you to take the Ark of the Covenant. How many of you know it was, inlay, it was lit, covered over with gold? How many of you know gold is heavy? He said, told the priests, put the Ark on your shoulders and step out into the Jordan River. Now you're the guy. You're the priest and the king unto God. Now you got it on your shoulders. And... <laughs> Joshua told you what to do. But Joshua was Moses' servant, and you're not sure about Moses either. And so what is trusting God at a time like that? He said, he said, as soon as you, as soon as you're, as soon as you step out into the river, the river's going to stop flowing. It's, it's raging by, no, you talk about walking by faith and not by sight. We, we think we're faith guys when we, you know, get a bill paid or something like that. Oh, glory to God. No, no. No, this is real. These are real people. And not only am I going to step out, but I got this heavy weight on my back. And I'm looking. I'm looking at the river going by, and they step into it. And it parts. It's interesting how it says it parted to all the way back to the city of Adam indicating that it went all the way back to when Adam was born, really, like this whole, this whole deal. And so they're crossing over, and then they told the guys with the ark, cross over, and everybody else is going to follow you 2,000 cubits behind, an indication of what you're going to do 2,000 years later after Jesus is born, right? And so they're going over into this promised land. The man is ceased. They're going over across this river, and the water again, it's a mountain on either side of them, or just in this case on one side, and you're, and you're walking over. Talk about walking by faith and not by sight. And I know you're concerned, and I, I, can, I can feel the fear because I put myself in these pictures. 
So then they get to the other side. How are we going to handle that? Well, we're going to do it. We're just going to do it. See if I can find it here in Acts chapter 7, make it easier. <laughs> no, I didn't talk about it. So anyway, they walked over and they got to the other side. And the Lord gave them a commandment to take 12 stones out of the river and put it in a circle and call the place Gilgal, which literally means circle. And they were going to take 12 stones out of the, out of the wilderness side of the promised land and put it in the river, and the river would overflow it again, indicating that your past is wiped out. It's kind of like maybe born again, maybe filled with the Holy Ghost. You can compare it with other things. But anyway, so they crossed over, and, and now they've got 12 stones sitting here in an area. And they're so happy. We're over in the promised land. Our past is wiped out. Yay. We've got Gilgal, a place that we can come back to as a memorial so that when we go to battle, we can back and look at those rocks and remember they were out in the middle of that flood stage river. And so, there's a, so it's where we get our faith. But then the next thing that he does is he says, Joshua, Pastor Gary, make sharp knives. And circumcise all the men. They called it the hill of the foreskins. I don't know what it must have looked like to get a couple of million people snip, dingle, snip, dingle, snip, dingle. I don't know what it went like. All I know is Pastor Paul said, you know, measure twice and cut once. <laughs> but my point is, we're, we, you know, he said, I've already given unto you all things that pertain to life and godliness, Peter chapter 1. He said, I've already given you. He said to Joshua, every place the sole of your foot shall tread upon, I've already given it unto you. It's already yours. The exceeding great and precious promises are all yours. They're all yours. Every promise in the Bible is yours, but you're going to have to cut the flesh off. And only that, like, and again, I put myself in, in, this, in this situation. They're over... <laughs> Squirm a little. It, they're over against Jericho. That means my enemies can see me. I haven't got any, not even a Tylenol. I'm going to put mud on it or something. I'm trying to get something to ease the pain. And my enemies can look right over the wall and see me sitting there in my tent waiting for healing to come. What is faith? No, no, if you're struggling to believe God, look at these guys and be inspired. Be encouraged. They went through a whole lot worse stuff than you. And we're going in to experience exceeding great and precious promises to partake of his divine nature and escape the corruption that's in the world through lust. But all I need to do, I've been following 2,000 cubits behind. Interesting side note, Jesus was baptized in Bethabara over against Jordan. In Jordan. Bethabara is where those 12 stones are. So he went out and stood right in the circle representing those 12 tribes of Israel and was water baptized right there. And then he tells you and I to follow 2,000 cubits behind. What does, what does the baptism represent? His death, burial, and resurrection. And he's saying that, that's, it's, it's almost the same as what 
Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ. He could have said, I've been circumcised. I got all my, I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who gave his life for me. And I don't frustrate the grace of God because if righteousness came by how good I could do it, then Jesus died for nothing. Can you see that? Can you see that this is a great time to take communion right now? Believe with me that every time you take communion... Every time that you remember his death and his burial and his resurrection, you are getting stronger, you're getting healthier, your finances are turning around, everything is turning around because he went, he went 2,000 cubits ahead of you and said, follow me. That's why it says we, we, we hold on to this hope, that we have a hope, that we have an anchor for our soul. We have, we have somebody that went within the veil and went ahead of us. We have a forerunner that went on ahead and said, if you do what I do, I'm the firstborn among many brethren. You're going to have to walk this thing out, but I'll be with you. I will never leave you. I will never fail you. I will never forsake you. Don't look at your situation. Don't, don't be led by circumstances. Ever. Romans 8.28 is your reality. He's working things out for your good. You don't have to understand anything if you can just trust him. You don't even have to be concerned about what stage you're at in your walk with God. If you're trusting him saying, I'm just, I'm going with this. I'm going to follow Caleb and, and Ariel out into the parking lot when all hell is breaking loose and praise the Lord with them. Recognizing that as they, see, we didn't finish that story. As they praised the Lord, the enemies turned and destroyed one another, and they spent three days gathering up the spoils. Yeah. You, no, no, but you think praise and worship is not important? You, come on. You, 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 that, that's, why it, that's why everybody, should, and, and again, it's not, not talking about a, a particular place to stand, but everybody ought to be coming in here. Oh, God, this is the day that you made. I'm rejoicing. I'm glad in it. I'm not waiting for them to fire me up. I'm fired up, and I'm going to push them to another level. Instead of coming to church hoping something will happen, come to church and be the happening person. Come to church and say, I'm not a spectator here. I didn't come to, I can't, I'm a participant. I'm a player in the game. I'm, I'm going to win this Super Bowl. I know because I've already been through the fourth quarter. Thanks be to God who always causes me to triumph in Christ. All I got to do is go play the game and enjoy it because the victory's already mine. He always gives me the victory through my Lord Jesus Christ. No, no, but when you get a revelation of that, you won't wait for somebody to sing you happy. Yeah. You'll be saying either sing loud or I'm going to take your microphone. Just kidding. <laughs> Who's doing communion? I mean, we're all doing it, but praise the Lord. While we're getting ready to take communion, I just want to talk, mention, I want to tell you a little bit about my personality. In case you're interested, <laughs> you're going to hear it anyway. So, you know. no, no, but when I, I haven't been to the pastor's conference in a couple of years, but when I go, I go for two reasons to hear the inspiring messages and to hang around with my friends. And I think that's the purpose of going to any church, right? But my personality is I, I know the back way out of the building. I know the back way out of the parking lot, and I know that when it's over, 1,600 people with their cars are going to be trying to leave to make it to the restaurant downtown. When they walk in, I'm sitting there. 
I got my meal on the table because I know how to maneuver out the back parking lot, past the airport hangar and all of that kind of stuff, right? So lately, I've been wanting to go to the revival to the river in Tampa, Rodney Howard Brown. And so I watched one yesterday for a little while. I watched the front of it and the end of it. It was six hours and 15 minutes long. Their praise and worship can go for an hour and a half. And, and Pastor Paul says, are you ready yet? And I'm saying, Pastor Paul, I'm not sure. I, I got to go down there and sit there for all that. I, you know, I, I have to discipline myself. But why am I mentioning this to you? I encourage you. I watch the front. The praise and worship is like it is here. It's awesome. But it goes a lot longer. And I want, our, and, and I want ours extended as well. You know, because you get a breakthrough. With the, I mean, the praise of worship, we just proved it here. The enemies turn against one another. And so, so we need to lengthen that. And we're going to have a meeting after the service about this anyway. But the other thing is I always fast forward to the end because I love to watch the Holy Ghost move. I'm not saying he's not a great preacher. He's a great preacher too. But I watched him, well, we watched him preach out one time for over an hour. And then his wife came up and took the microphone. She <laughs> No, no, I was 20 minutes into that, and I'm thinking, i got to go to bed, man. <laughs> of course, then I thought about when Jesus preached for three days and they forgot to eat. So believe with me, number one, that I can go to Tampa to get into some of these Holy Ghost services. And number two, that we can have those kind of services here. I'm not talking about length of time. I'm talking about... Nobody caring what time it is. We've got nowhere else to go. This was our destination. Not, oh, well, we'll do this, and then we'll go do this, this, and this. No. I remember talking to a guy at the gym one day, Paul, and he, he said, are you enjoying the gym? And I said, no, not like I used to. I said, when I, when I used to come to the gym, it was my destination. I would come in here and spend two hours working out and really enjoy it. But I said, now whenever I come to the gym, it's because I'm on my way somewhere, on my way somewhere. And I thought, well, that's, that's like church, too. Like, and I'm believing God, believe God with me, that we come here to meet with God, and he comes here to meet with us, and we don't want to go home. Amen. Amen. We hope this message has encouraged you in your relationship with the Lord. For more information and ministry resources, we invite you to visit our website at www.newcovenantchurch.ca. We look forward to you joining us next time as we continue to live victoriously.